Hello, wonderful souls, and thank you for tuning in to another episode. It's a long episode, but it's definitely worth it. So welcome to the Fragmented Families podcast. So today I have such an amazing guest and I'm, I'm always so gassed and elated whenever I have guests because number one, I love when people take their time to come and film with me. I cannot be grateful, grateful enough for somebody dedicating one or two hours of their time to appear on a podcast. So on today's guest, oh, she's amazing. You guys are going to love it. Her name is Dr. Christiane Ricard. Uh, she's a counsellor and she works with people who are going through life transition or dealing with adversity, the type of things counsellors do. Anyway, you guys are going to love this conversation. And at the end, there will be some, uh, you can follow, there will be her details if you're interested in working with her. Anyway, before we get into it, guys, don't forget to rate the podcast. And yes, give me those stars, please. Thank you. And then don't forget to join in my private Facebook group. The links will be in the podcast show notes. So they'll be available there. Or you can join my membership. That would also be on a show notes as well. Anyway, so let's get into it. And thank you so much. Hello, wonderful souls, and welcome to today's episode. I have my amazing guest. Her name is Christiane Ricard, and she, um, actually, I'm going to refer you as Dr. Christiane Ricard, right? And she is a counsellor, a therapist. And what I like about Christiane is when I look through her Instagram, she's always, she's always adding such amazing content, which I find so brilliant and very helpful, inspiring. And I think you're going to like what she has to say. And to be honest, one of the things I, re- I believe on recovery from fragmented families is that it's nice to have different people to come on to share different parts of wisdom that they can share with you to just to help you cope with whatever life struggles you're going through. And if you're listening to this, the chances are you've gone through family estrangement. And with that, you're gonna be dealing with some uncomfortable emotions. And I'm hoping by you listening to Dr. Christian Ricard, it would help you untangle some of these things. So I'm not gonna speak too much. I'm just gonna let Christian, uh, Christian take over. Christian, you're welcome. Yes, hi, I'm so happy to be here. My name is Dr. Ricard. Um, I'm originally from Hammond, Louisiana. Um, I've been living in Baton Rouge, Louisiana um, since 2011. I've earned a a bachelor's of psychology degree from Southeastern Louisiana University. I went back and got my master's in counseling from Southeastern. Um, I also received my ed specialist in education from Louisiana State University, Go Tigers. And then I went back and got my PhD in education from Louisiana State University. Um, for the most part, I've been in the counseling field since 2011. Wow. Um, started like case management, kind of deal with people with disabilities. But even in that role, I'm still coaching and I'm mentoring. Um, I work with people from, like I said, disabilities to people with um, health uh, diagnoses and helping them to cope with that. Um, so I've always been in the field, uh, but more recently I've been in private practice uh, or approaching three years. Um, I've been a school counselor in a school district in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. 
mm -hmm. earned uh, several awards there. Um, so my heart is to, um, like Miriam said, just to help people cope with uh, life adjustments because um, we always, you know, there's always going to be a transition. Um, so that's just a little background about me. And I also want to add, I have been uh, married to my husband of 12, almost 12 years now. Um, and I have four kids, Brandon, Rashad, Bella, Briley. Oh, and I yes. think, yep. So I think that's pretty that's, much it. That's pretty sums up. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. So um, what I would like to ask you next is that Many of my listeners have experienced family estrangement. And um, is this something that you're familiar with? Yes, I'm familiar with it um, in several ways. On the professional side, because I have clients that uh, talk about family estrangement, they don't use those words all the time, but that's the definition of it. Um, it can happen within a marriage. It can happen within a family, between children and their parents or between siblings. So. I have that, and then I also have it, you know, personally from family estrangement. Okay, yeah. Yeah, I think it's when it comes to family, it's so common. And um, and I think sometimes people don't call estrangement, they don't even understand the word for it. They just know that there's complete disconnection, sometimes complete as an emotional and physically for extended period of time, um, sometimes even forever with one or several family members or all um, at times. Okay, so um, Christian. And I think what I need to discuss about is um, you're the founder of Renewed Mind Counseling and Consultation. Are you able to let my listeners know the type of services that you offer? Yes. Um, as the founder of Renewed Mind Counseling and Consultation, I mostly uh, just do um, psychotherapy. Um, I do diagnose um, if someone needs like you know, they want to go into some type of medication, I just refer them back to their primary care physician or a psychiatrist. Uh, that's where, that's not my uh, expertise. Yeah. Uh, but I do provide a safe space um, via psychotherapy for uh, people, individuals, family, couples to process. Uh, I've noticed that uh, my clientele or ideal client, it picked me, I didn't pick it. Yeah. So for the most part, um, my clients are coming from that anxiety, depression, um background so it picked me I, I just you know for the most part everyone just they have that in some way yeah um and so I've become just very well versed in in that area for clients so yeah. those are the services I provide um I mostly see older teens yeah. and any adult of uh, any age and I'll do premarital and I do marital oh my, so, my yeah, so premarital counseling. Again, you know, another thing that tend to cause estrangement later, sometimes um, children, say adult children or even teenagers, um, is separation, parental separation. This is mm -hmm. known to be one of the things that tends to lead to family estrangement between fathers and their children. Uh, so yeah. a, a divorce is definitely a risk factor um, of mm -hmm. estrangement. Correct. Yes. So what I want to ask is that many people who've experienced family estrangement feel a deep sense of rejection, mm -hmm. uh, loss and abandonment. What does perceived rejection or even abandonment does to us on a neurological level? And how can somebody who's dealing with this right now, what, can, what kind of thing can they, what kind of techniques can they utilize just to get themselves out of this um, state of mind? 
Um, first, I guess I will talk about why um, abandonment, rejection, why it hurts so much. Um, and that can be just coming from society. We can, it can have messages from, it kind of goes all the way back to our ancestors about just working in groups and kind of just promoting that we're better off in a group yes. than we are as our, by ourselves. So I'm bringing that forward to say that when we experience rejection, whether it's in our marriage, whether it's in relationships, whether it's in a workplace um, with, with friends, it hurts us really, really bad because um, we need people to accept us. We yeah. want to be validated. Um, we want people to uh, tell us that we're we're doing something right. So when we have this rejection, it it disapproves of that. It's and it and it goes beneath the skin. It's not just okay. I didn't get the job. Well, it, depending on and not sometimes even depending on. But when you put your all into something, you know, and you do everything that you feel was necessary, and someone says, "Oh no, we're going to go with another candidate," or you know what, I don't think this relationship is going to work we internalize that yes we mean that we are not good yes so that's kind of like the root of it so beyond the that point you go into your attaching attachment styles oh yes let's talk about so we just kind of styles. yeah so we go into attachment styles and we look at how we develop relationships in the first place mm-hmm. so there's brokenness in the caregiver and child relationship you learn certain attaching styles. So that even, you're bringing that with you as well. So I guess I want to highlight that as we, you know, grow into these mm-hmm. concepts about rejection, we must keep in mind the way where it starts. Yes. And how we perceive it. And I guess the simplest way, and this may sound weird, I kind of always encourage my clients, um, and I know you all can't see me, but um, this is like, just say a Mickey Mouse. This is a box. Oh, this yes. box means nothing until I add meaning to meaning it. to it yes so yes. by itself alone it has no relevance it's not important it's, someone would see this and just say hey this is just a, a box but yeah. if I told you that well this was the box that my great-grandmother gave to me you know before she passed away or this was a family heirloom then now this simple box that probably d- doesn't cost much five cents a, a penny now means everything so yes. it's more important, not so much what you have or what you go through, but how you go through it. And also what meaning are you attaching to it? Yes. That's where yeah. your power is. It's the meaning you brought to this such a simple, normal, inevitable thing that's going to happen in life. The meaning you're assigning to it is more important than the event itself. Yes. So, Yes. So I, I once read that, uh, actually it was just the other day I was reading a book, say we are meaning making machines, as in we make meanings out of things. And sometimes depending how we do that, it can the meaning we give to something will determine how we feel about it, how we feel about it will determine the actions we take, right? Yes. So we often, even sometimes we can find ourselves ruminating on and thinking of things that have long gone but when we think of those emotions, it still activate the same raw emotions as if we're happening right now. Right now, yes. Right now. And yeah, like the, the box example that I use, I love that example because I, I often use a similar sentiment, but I never actually have a physical box to show that it doesn't have any meaning until you put meaning into something. And this is the issue. Sometimes we can 
when we go through particular experiences, we develop meaning around that and we develop senses that are so acutely tuned to something very similar to that. When it happens again, even if it, it just to, it just happened, it just has to look similar. We apply mm-hmm. sometimes the same meaning and then we activate the same emotional responses. It's the level of activation. Mm-hmm. So um, it kind of goes back to um, as we interact with our caregivers, if we interact with our caregivers as infants in healthy ways. Yeah. And I hope I say this where I can be understood. Yeah. When we have healthy interactions in our environment, we are not so threatened because you have some feeling behind things, but it doesn't like it doesn't have that push and pull, that roller coaster type feel because you know and you understand there's this level of understanding you have that says like this is not um threatening, so threatening to me. Yes. Like I feel it, it doesn't feel great, but it doesn't take me out. It, you know, mm-hmm. it doesn't feel great, but I do know I can always apply for another job. That simple sentence can mean so much Yes. and how you cope with change, because now, you know, it, there was a time where I would see a, not getting an email or see an email saying, I'm sorry, we went with a, a different candidate as like the end of the world. Like, mm-hmm. oh, my God, you know, this is just such a horrible thing that has happened to me. Yes. I never understood that it was happening for me mm. because in the in the grand scheme that who knows like if that would have been the job that would have brought more stress who knows if I would have been you know able to even stay on the job as long as I stayed on the one that I did get. So my point in saying that is there's something in layman's terms there's something wrong with everything. Like there's no perfect thing that exists. Mm-hmm. So getting yourself used to and accustomed to transitions, getting yourself used mm. to things not being so right is very important. Yes. I mean, so, the more healthy your habits you have, which we'll get into that about the coping part, the better you are able to approach difficulty, the better, the better you're able to approach opposition. Mm. See, I love so that. You're you the, yeah. that. I love that you said the, that. your definition of opposition you know, and doesn't mean you have a working definition, meaning you verbalized it, but your concept of what opposition means. Mm-hmm. And if it has a deep meaning that I'm doing something wrong, we have to get rid of that yes. because that's not true. Exactly. Because we tend to internalize these things. The first thing is foremost is like, it must be me. There's something faulty uh, wrong with me. So this is why this is happening. And, you know, I love that you said what you said because. I say when when it comes to life, I look in a very simplistic way and I tend to rationalize things that in a way that I find them rather empowering, there's disempowering. And I've narrowed down to two things in life. And you might think, well, life is so complicated, Mariam. How would you do that? Well, I feel like I've narrowed down to two things, relationship management and obstacle management. And the reason why I have narrowed down my view of the world to look at this is because from the day that we are born to the day that we die, we die, we're involved in some type of relationship with people. When we are younger, we're involved with our caregivers, although the power dynamics are very different then. And they often shapes us. It gives us the wiring and the blueprint for further relationships in the future. And then later down the line, life happens. We're going to have a good moments. But the good thing about when we get good moments, Christian, and Chris, is that 
they're short-lived. We can have experienced 100 good moments and then we get one bad moment and we extend, we, we start focusing on the one bad moment. And the one thing I've realized is that obstacles are gonna happen, sometime in my own doing, sometime in the doing of other people. And because life is about obstacle management, right? Not say good things don't happen, they do, but we know that the brain typically tends to lean towards the negative side most of the time, right? It's based on our survival. So I figured, well, if life is literally being in a classroom to manage, I don't know, obstacles, then I better learn ways that I can just manage the next one. So is this, what, what is this teaching me? Yes, it's hurting me. Am I feeling jealous? Am I feeling angry? Am I feeling sad? Is this making me want to hide away? Oh, this is very different. This is an interesting emotion coming up. Why do I feel, what can I learn from here? So no matter what challenges I face, I say, oh, it's another obstacle come my way. So, oh, it's an opportunity to learn, but damn, it hurts. <laughs> So I always look at it like that. A wonderful, oh my goodness, such a wonderful approach. Becoming really good at um, this process called life, becoming yes. really good at uh, going through uh, obstacles. And, you know, I tell some of the, my younger clients, I say, you know, we use Google for everything. If you mm. need a mm. phone number, you Google that. When you can't find where to go, need a direction use google maps when you want to find out how to do something really weird and nice to your hair you go on youtube and google that yeah i said yeah. you know but one thing we don't google is when we are going through a tough time or we are feeling something we don't google those things and i said the same thing that you're doing yeah for yeah. you know leisure is what you could still a resource for you know, going through tough times. So when you, if you're always being reprimanded for being late for work, why don't you just Google, why am I always being late for work? A host of resources mm -hmm. will come to you and show you three steps to beat procrastination or why do people procrastinate in the first place? Like yes. use what you normally use to get the address, get the phone number, use that for your personal development. Absolutely. And I always feel, and I was having this discussion with, um, with a friend and I was saying that imagine when we go to school for example we're taught the basic uh, not the basic I mean in the grand scheme in a grand scheme of things when you look about life what we go through it really is just the basic to pass exams and get your qualification but aside from that we know there's a lot of things we can learn in school about financial management etc cetera, etc cetera. but the one important things that we don't learn is that there's a thing called life and I think the emphasis needs to be put on that you're gonna to have to manage this thing. Like it's gonna be a thing that you're gonna get and you're gonna to have to manage it. And then sometimes it's gonna come crashing on you like you never mm -hmm. know. And other time you could just wanna run away. And if you've just yes. been told that from day one, you know that like sometimes I find that when we can anticipate something, I don't know about you, um, Christy, when we can anticipate something, I find that we can deal with it slightly better. So if I yes. know for sure the I'm going to experience certain things, sure. like if I know for sure these experiences are coming, and I'm told at 16, you're going to experience it. Some things we know intellectually, but we don't really know. But if I say, when this happens, you're going to feel like this. When you say you get, a, you get married, you get divorced, this is what you're going to go through, right? When you're mm -hmm. rejected, this yes. is what you're going to feel like. When you start mm -hmm. applying for jobs, this is what you're going to feel like. If you experience rejection and everything in your background, you might never feel like you're good enough, you're not enough. You're gonna engage in a relationship sometimes where you're being used. And, and I feel like if we equipped young people with this skill, I do think that we can avoid a lot of pitfalls later down the line. I don't know, maybe I'm just a bit wild, yeah, in terms Absolutely. of- Absolutely. 
Yes. And so, um, and going back to even when you were uh, we were talking about just what rejection and how it changes us psychologically, um, going back to the level of activation, the level of activation is from birth. You know, you learn just say if someone learned insecure attachment style where they wasn't affirmed in their environment, they they had to perform in order to get a compliment from their you know family or caregivers. So they already have a level of activation that says they have to work in order to be worthy. They have to work to feel validated. So of course, going through rejection is just tumultuous. I mean, it's just the hardest thing ever because this means that I'm disapproved. This means that I'm not good. So yeah. our need for connections is wired a certain way from birth. Yes. That is embedded within the emotional development is embedded within our emotional system and nervous system yes that when we get these triggers from you know this rejection thing it sends us back to that hurt child that child mm -hmm. if it was healthy same thing it brings us back to the level of activation that we have experienced uh, victor frankel is father of existential therapy and mm -hmm. he always talked about finding meaning so yes. if the meaning you found and have been finding over the course of your life is what you're really working against. You're actually not trying to work against beating the rejection part as much as you're working against your own definition of what it meant. Yeah, That's your right. real enemy. Your enemy is not the person who behind the computer. Your enemy is not your, your ex. Your enemy is not the job who didn't accept you or your, your parents who don't approve of your lifestyle. I mean, that's, it's what it means to you. So you're really wrestling against that. Absolutely. And so it's teaching you to get involved in your own healing mm -hmm. and not put it off onto someone else. Because if we don't bring you back to that awareness, you're going to, you're going to think that someone owns your healing. So if I just got mom to just agree, or if I just got mom to come visit me, if I just got dad to stop doing this or that, that's postponing your own health and waiting on someone else to do it for you. And exactly. that, that is miserable, you know, to, to not have your own key to your own happiness in your own pocket. So one of the things that, um, that I, I encourage clients or anyone that's listening is to always take charge of where you're going. Never give that to other people because some people only have a certain capacity to a certain level. So what you may even be asking them to do could be out of their range. Exactly. So you, I know, you know, and we are getting to that, how forgiving our parents and caregivers is a really great step to dealing with rejection. It seems off road and it seems off topic because you could have the story where they never did me anything. doesn't matter. Forgiving even, you know, people from our past can help us to create healthy uh, dialogue around rejection and not see it as some taboo thing that is happening to you, like this big mountain that's just, mm. you don't know what to do with it, you know? Yeah. Honestly, when sometimes, like you mentioned, sometimes this big taboo of shame, which to me, I always think that things like shame and taboo, they have a zero transform transformation of value. Um, and mm -hmm. when we start focusing on that, it normally depletes us um, emotionally as well. I'm going back to what you're saying about um, these things that these experiences that we have, these attachment style, they end up forming us into 
they shape us our emotional blueprint for an adult now. And I always say they're just so deeply embedded and we don't even know why we react the way we do because they, they, they're deeply embedded in, in our subconscious mind. And often I find that most of our decision-making, most of our reaction is not actually based on our conscious mind, it's deeply embedded in our subconscious mind. And some of these things would have been embedded before we even had the language to understand what it is that we're experiencing, right? So absolutely, I often wonder why sometimes when I go into a room and if it's like, I don't know when and how, but if I go into a room, I always look at the nearest exit. If I cannot see an exit, I get a bad sense of, um, I can feel anxiety kicking in. Mm -hmm. And I don't know where that comes from. I've never been trapped anywhere. But God forbid if I go somewhere and I cannot see the nearest ex ex escape route or like fire <laughs> exit, I was like, okay, so if something happened, how do I get out? Correct. I don't know where that comes from. Maybe something has happened in the past that I have no mm -hmm. recollection of, but I'm always very aware. If I go to a big office and with, they take us to the top floor, I'm always like, oh, where's the fire exit? I've got this mm -hmm. thing about knowing where each fire exit is or a nearest escape route. I have no yes. idea where that comes from. And my worst nightmare is to be trapped somewhere I cannot escape. And it would often come to me in my dream. And sure. I don't know where that's come from. And I know it's there and I've had it for a long time. Yeah. Well, you know, just real quick, I have similar experiences with that. We have a lot of similarities, by the way. Yes. Uh, <laughs> yes. You and I. Uh, so uh, when I think and I process that, it's it could be something so small. I guess in, in the external, very small, but it has, it carried a lot of meaning. So one of the things is to see what we're carrying forward, even from, I guess, not so traumatic events. I know when people hear trauma, they think something horrible has happened. Mm. Not, not the case, not always the case. Um, so something as simple as not having your own space as a child so I grew up in, in like with siblings so there was always tight the house was very small mm. um we had to share everything I felt clo closed in I felt very claustrophobic clothes everywhere I never had my own bed um never had my own room you have to wait on the bathroom had to wait on this person to get out so I have similar reactions to those type of things too. I always need to identify where the exit is. I also mm -hmm. need to know kind of like if something, you know, happens, yes. um, you know, where can I go to get out? And this is going to sound really weird, mm -hmm. but even if you don't have a direct experience with being trapped, like I yeah. said, it could be the lack of space, a lack of personal space as growing up. And it also social media and television so i watched a lot of like movies growing up mm. where these things were happening someone is dying like i saw a traumatic a movie i was traumatized by movies of people yes. drowning and um people getting trapped in buildings so those things go into the nervous system as mm. well so i think we don't give enough credit to, to social influences and television and how it shapes the mind as well yeah so all me, it's doing is it's kind of piling on to what's already there mm -hmm. exactly and especially when something is, is so when you perceive it whatever the stimuli is once you perceive it and it's accompanied by it highly its own emotion, form it, yes mm -hmm. it takes, it takes form, form and it gets embedded it's almost like some some experiences we have they get let in and other experiences they just kind of get shifted out and they get the trapped in the body mm -hmm. they get trapped in the body so for me yeah. i'm already aware that i'm quite sensitive to films so they're just some things i don't watch me too 
Uh, I Me just I, I don't watch horror films. I, I don't watch anything supernatural. I don't no. watch violent films. I literally right. do not watch violent films at all. Same. And I don't watch, I don't, I don't mind comedies. I don't mind lighthearted films, but I don't mind maybe to some degree, I can make exceptions, psychological thrillers, maybe that. But generally- I'm gonna let the listeners, I'm gonna let the listeners in on a secret that I do because the yeah. kind of work that I do um, in when my I'm processing, I'm always in a process. So because I the work that I teach, I do it. I live it. I'm not I'm not a fraud. I, I mean I'm just yes. there's no counselor hat. Like this is me. What you see is what you get. Yeah. Um and I'm saying that to say that at the end of my day, I always try to return back to my body and I watch mm-hmm. syndicated shows, things that I know the next move is like it's not anything I have to learn. Like it's so fresh prince of Bel Air, things yeah. that I can recite from memory and that helps to me return back to my body because I don't have to think about what's coming next I know so it helps me to return back to me after having been out there processed all this stuff from social media process clients uh narratives I return back to Christiane by watching syndicated episodes I know it well I know it from memory and it just soothes me it makes Mm -hmm. me feel like I'm in you know back to back to my body I don't have to work hard to think about like what's going to happen in this next scene I have to prepare to watch new things on Netflix and a lot of people say oh you watch this Netflix did you watch Euphoria did you watch this and I'm like I hadn't made the emotional space for it no because it's not something I know like I can't predict what's going to happen yeah I prefer to watch things I've seen already uh, and that I'm comfortable with watching again. So if I do decide mm-hmm. to watch something new, I have to make space for that. Yes, it's. I think it's about predictability. And for horror films, I hate you cannot predict them. And with syndicate, like scene, <laughs> and you know, it's nothing. It's normally quite lighthearted. I guess I can see why our brain or your will gear towards that because I guess it's familiarity. The brain likes familiarity. It likes passion. It does. He likes to conform somewhere. So when you start introducing something new, it's like, hey, we're freaking out over here. Halamba. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I literally understand. I, like when you said that, I literally get why you're doing it because I understand mm-hmm. about the familiar pattern that our brain wants. But you know what? What about if when the, the familiar pattern is something that's normally self-sabotaging? Because we know our familiar patterns are not always helpful. <laughs> familiar patterns can often lead us in a place of stuckness because we're so scared to take a chance to take a change to make a change right we just end up stuck where we are because the the new way we're trying to go is so unfamiliar to us just being open yeah. to healing being open to changing your mindset about how you relate to some of the conversation you have in your mind about who you think you are so things like self-loathing um you know low self-esteem when we try to change that you are worth it, you are enough, try to tell yourself things that you wish you could hear from the people who meant to care for you. Yeah. Right. Often when we say it to ourselves, we receive, we have this internal resistance and reminding us why we're not enough, why we're not worth it. So as much as yeah. I'm, 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 it's like I'm pro the brain doing what to do what's familiar because it's our survival mechanism. But what about that familiarity is not good for us? How do you begin to handle that? Yeah. So um, it sounds, in, in, like you say, when it comes to self-sabotage or knowing when to disconnect ourselves from things that are not creating the best version 
of ourselves. Um, so there you have the familiarity again that it wants to continue pain that it knows. So this is where you may see an example of someone trying to decide if they should end a toxic relationship or not. And although on, us on the outside can clearly see this is not healthy, it's not going anywhere, you might, you know, this is, this needs to end now. The person that's involved that has an emotional pattern that likes the familiarity wants subconsciously, so not consciously, but subconsciously, they want that pain they know, and they're choosing that over the yes. uncertainty of healing. Yes. So healing sounds great to us because we may have a genuine desire to see that person, you know, stop hurting and, and get out of this toxic pattern. Mm -hmm. But psychologically and subconsciously, which is below conscious, meaning it's not here and now, mm -hmm. they don't know how to form mm -hmm. a connection with what's on the other side of me putting what I've been involved with for four to five years uh -huh. mm -hmm. and choosing mm -hmm. this something with no experience. Because mm -hmm. think about a job, you're going to go with someone with zero experience or you're going to go with someone with five years. So mm -hmm. sometimes we stay stuck or psychologically and subconsciously, we choose to stay where we are because we really just don't know if I heal, if this person, this toxic person is no longer in my life, what then what? What am I going to do? Exactly. So that's when familiarity isn't good. And when it's hurting you and it's hurting you from moving forward. Absolutely. And this is why for me, I was as well as understanding that is to believe in bigger I feel mm -hmm. like when we go on a journey of healing it shouldn't just be about healing our mental health I think it's also about making a connection with yourself like um where my meditation or prayer so this is the spiritual element I find because just to believe that you're gonna be okay because that's one thing I've always opted is I've always said to myself no matter what I'm going through always we're out of this situation I'm safe I'm gonna be okay I always believe I'm gonna be okay when you opt for that mantra your brain mm -hmm. look for ways that you're going to be okay mm -hmm. I honestly believe it's a, it's, a, it's a software that you've chosen to install in your mind it doesn't matter what it is I'm yes. going to say yeah oh this is hurts but I'm going to be okay I don't know when yes. but I'm going to be fine and as mm -hmm. soon as I start saying those words I always find that things just kind of unfold in front of me people are introduced mm -hmm. to me or uh, something come to intuition is another thing I tend to find that when we try to stay in this place of stuckness we tend to minimize our intuition for example mm -hmm. I think inside we we know deeply what we're supposed what we we're, what, mm -hmm. what we're supposed to be doing because yes. we have that intuitive nudge and I, I feel like we ignore it sometimes are you able to speak mm -hmm. a little bit about intuition from your perspective as a doctor sure uh, and I was going to say uh that when you're talking about like the affirmations and what we tell ourselves in times of you know transition obstacles uh, rejection so important but of course if you just take that by itself sometimes it could be slow to coming around because the body needs the physical and the mental to work towards each other so sometimes people are experiencing mental health because they have poor physical health yes. so if you're in pain physically say you have a toothache your range to deal with anything in that in that moment isn't really good you're going to be very short because you have a physical ailment so being physically healthy is important in this process so sometimes we have vitamin deficiencies that mimic and manifest as mental health so you know not taking you know by the um, 
vitamin uh, D3s and the, mm. you know, and I, and I can't take all of that at once, but you can break it up instead of taking a big multivitamin that has all that stuff in there at once, you might want to extract them and just get mm. the individual vitamins. So it doesn't take, you know, and I'm no expert on health, but I do know that when I am consistent with vitamins, and I'm pouring into myself and I'm investing into my physical health as well as my mental, it works. So the affirmations by itself is going to be very little mm. progress, but without physical health. So like going to the gym, mm -hmm. going on a run, doing a yoga, meditating are great ways to get in balance while you work on the affirmations, but just having poor physical health no water, you're not drinking water, you're not getting up and moving, and you're trying to talk yourself into an affirmation, that's not going to work. Not going to work. Do you know what? I love that you mentioned that, especially the bit about the water and vitamin D. Like, for me, I know come winter time in the UK, it's like grey weather 24 hours a day. Like, literally, you don't get, you don't get UVIs, you don't get nothing. So, yeah. and if I don't supplement with vitamin D, I literally, not, I, I would suffer headaches. And mm -hmm. I, I feel like I get some type of brain fog and I get a little bit yep. more moody. And as soon as I start taking my vitamin D supplementation, it makes a huge difference. But another thing I'm a big advocate for is exercise, um, yes. especially dancing. And the worst case scenario, if the affirmations are not working, I just put on my music. I do kickboxing or I do some type of physical exercise for 30 minutes, high, intens in intens high intensity. And I tend to find that mm -hmm. alleviates my mood. And the dehydration is a mood killer like no other it is it <laughs> really know, is yes yeah, that one I get and you'd be surprised sometimes I have a headache and I'm like wait how much water have you drank today ma'am have you have you drank your two liters today I'm like no I probably had a glass <laughs> then I'm like well that's the first <laughs> that's the first thing I ask myself is like how much water did I take in today when I'm before I dive into the deep end on the mental health piece I always kind of check what's right in front of me right exactly. here right now how much sleep did I get did I go to bed after one o'clock then my morning or four hours of sleep yeah. all of that matters and, and and just going back to intuition uh, we can call it many things I yeah. I've called it discernment um you, you, just depending on your background but um that's important too and keeping it close to you in close range because it's a something it's it's for you. It's for your own development. So sometimes people may choose to use intuition for situations that are so far out from themselves. It's like, no, no, no. Hone in on that skill mm -hmm. and use it for yourself first. So yeah. if I'm going to use intuition to determine if mm -hmm. my friend Miriam here is not being a good friend to me because I think she secretly doesn't like me because she didn't ask me to be on her podcast. <laughs> why can't I use that same intuition yeah. when it's when I'm running out of gas when I'm not sleeping when I'm poor self-care that's really aftercare not really self-care because if you begin managing the crisis that means you're chasing the pain yes you're not getting it in front of it so if you're exhausting your battery your emotional battery all week you didn't do any self-care yeah. and you finally right. decide on a Saturday that I'm gonna go get get, get a mani and pity that did not go to you. That went to the crisis because mm -hmm. you're, you're chasing it. It's, it. It did nothing for the physical body at all. No, nothing. So, no. The, oh, yeah. The, yeah, because you're, you're, you're kind of have that whole battery drain and then fill it back up, battery drain, fill it back up instead of while it's filled, keeping it filled. Mm -hmm. So while things are good, that's when it's really time to really hone in on that self-care because an obstacle is going to come. There's going to be something. 
Yeah. So you're yeah. going to have some cushion there. Doesn't make it perfect, but yeah. you at least have something there to assist you in making rational decisions and not making emotional decisions. Exactly. So I like to say discernment should be for you first before you start going on the external and applying it to these things. Personalize it. Yes. That it works for you first and foremost. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. So um, another question I wanted to ask is um, a lot of the people going for family estrangement, they suffer, uh, not all, uh, but some good significant portion have anxiety, stress and PTSD. What are the long term consequences of these uh, elements? Um, what, what is their manifestation in our daily life if we don't take time to resolve them? So specifically anxiety, stress and PTSD. How does um, anxiety, stress, and PTSD affect us if it's not taken care of? Yes. It inhibits us from being able to operate at optimal level in short. So more specifically, so I'll give you an example. I, I often talk about parents and their children. So if you are a parent and you ask your child, hey, how was your day today? Mm -hmm. Oh, it was good. It was good. How was your day on the Wednesday? Mm, it's good. What I, the reason why I'm giving that example is because the range that the child is operating in is very short. By that, by those responses, if you told me that, what I hear is they don't have the language. They don't have enough language mm -hmm. to describe the other emotions that are on the emotional wheel, which tells me that they're probably are not going to be good obstacle you know com competed like they're not going to be able to deal with a lot of things that are hard because they don't have the language to describe other in-between emotions other than happy and sad so they're only approaching life in terms of um yeah things are good or things are bad things are happy things are sad they don't find that gray area they're in that black and white thinking that if things are not happy 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 then they're really really bad you don't have the range to assist you with other you know in between emotions so i'm saying that to say anxiety is developed in the body so i know yeah. we think it comes from this from the sky into this you know some transformation happens where we get you know this anxiety mm -hmm. it's your body is teaching itself how to respond yeah to these triggers so it's formed within the body so if i get ready to take a test and you see my hands will start ringing around and i'm and i'm doing this as a way to prepare for the test i'm actually practicing what i want my body and mind to do before mm -hmm. i take a test mm -hmm. so it i'm teaching it my what it to what to do so it's not good to practice things you don't want to continue. So if I'm wringing my hands and I'm pacing and I'm sweating and I don't process my emotions and I, I so those things were formed within me. Mm. So and to me, unprocessed anxiety or emotions like uh, PTSD and yeah. stress yeah. can have manifestations of, and you, you can almost see it within the way you cope with difficulty, the quality of your relationships. Um, if you see that it's toxic or it's very roller coastery, um, another sign is that if you are considering um, building relationships with other people, if it goes really, really fast, mm -hmm. 
that can be a sign because that's actually not um, realistic for, you know, you meet someone today and then you're, you know, moving in with each other next week. Oh, yeah. So oh, that yeah. can be anxiety because you could be, you know, feeling like this is your only chance. Your biological clock is ticking. Um, you're living with the narrative of what anxiety means. And you hadn't processed. You don't know it. Uh, you hadn't learned any skills. Uh, so that could definitely put you in a lot of toxic relationships. So I look for that. I also yeah. look for balance. You don't have good balance between, you know, work, life, leisure. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. You're always on edge. Um, yes. You don't have yes. your positive language is low. Mm -hmm. your, yeah. your narrative is very low. It's always something happening above you, above your ability to deal with it. So I, I listen for the tone of how you describe to me what happened in the week. So it's not to say you should always be happy about conflict. I'm saying that if it's always, woe is me, victim, like kind of victim mentality. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. So that's kind of what some of the manifestations is when uh, anxiety and stress and PTSD persist without yeah. any in intervention. Yeah, so it sounds, it, it sounds like it, it also has... Um... It can affect our executive executive functioning um, mm -hmm. of our brain as well. Yes, but definitely yes. our decision making from the sound Correct. of it. Yes. Correct. Okay, so I have a couple of more questions, and just guys, I'm sure you're loving this conversation, and you know me, I'm always asking questions to do with family estrangement. So another thing I'm a huge fan of is uh, I'm a huge advocate advocate for mindset and changing a uh, mindset mindset change or shifting your mindset and building resilient are you able to give your perspective on the importance of mindset shift and resilience building um absolutely taking time to process your emotions a lot of people don't know how to process emotions they're very just they have all these things they just don't know what to do with them um they're used to distracting themselves as soon as they feel something they kind of like watch tv they emotional eat they uh, do things out of emotions. They just don't just know how to sit with the discomfort of what they're feeling. So I would say the first thing to building a resilient mindset is to know how to sit with your emotions and not run away from them or avoid them. Um, and just because they're hard emotions doesn't mean you, you know, you, I had to tell myself I can do hard things. I can have this emotion right now. I don't have to distract myself. Mm -hmm. um, so grounding yourself in journaling, uh, journal writing, kind of getting acquainted with yourself from a third person. So one of the things I like to do is take a break from seeing things in the ego state of just me, like, you know, because you can't really see that good when you're, you're in the picture. Get out of the picture and kind of build a, a healthy relationship with yourself from a third person, almost like meeting yourself um, like your inner child, I guess, um, meeting yourself from that lens. And then you'll start to build um, a respect, compassion for self. Um, and that way, when you are, you know, working through things that require resilience, you don't, you know, are not punitive. You're not yes. saying negative yes. things about yourself and how you did it and, oh, you know, you should have did this. One of the uh, quotes that my professors gave me when I was in counseling school was, don't shoot on yourself <laughs> <laughs> and I couldn't understand what he was saying at first I said did he just curse you know did he use a you curse know, word and he's that, like, yeah. but he didn't he's like just don't shoot on yourself and he's like shooting is very dangerous to the mind because it creates like these two lanes 
Mm-hmm. If you can think about, you know, when we were taught driving school, you know, get in one lane, you can't ride the middle lane, you know. Mm-hmm. And so creating the brain is creating two alternatives for how you should have behaved or yes. what you should have done, which causes rumination. And like you said, it can impair the left side of the brain that's responsible for decision making because you always should be doing something else. You're never on key. So that creates lack of self-compassion yes. that you're going to need. on this journey to becoming you know your true authentic self and always judging yourself being too hard on yourself so I look at the relationship you have with yourself Mm -hmm. is the Mm -hmm. vertical and then if you want to be horizontally you know healthy the vertical has to be in alignment so meaning the relation the most healthiest relationship you can have is the one with yourself yes because that is going to be the frame that you use to interact with other people. So if I'm hard on myself, if I'm not forgiving myself for mistakes, if I'm not forgiving myself for, you know, things of my past, then I won't be very patient when I mess up in the future. And I won't be able to give grace to other people when I need to forgive them or something in the, just so just a little side note, forgiveness does not mean reconciliation. It just means that, you know what, I know who you are. I accept it. I'm not unseeing it, but I don't have any negative like posture about who you are. I just accept that that's who you are. And I also accept that that's not something I can have in my life. And that's okay. Yes, I would say when it comes to forgiveness, it's um, it's not even about reconciliating with a person or, not. or justifying whatever they've done. I think it's about saying, you know what? I want to be free of this. For me, it came to when I think about some of the trespass that was done on me by the people when I think about them now that don't have the same emotional charge they had in the past because sometimes mm. when I used to going a few years back when I thought about a particular circumstance I would actually feel rather angry and if it was something that made me sad I'd actually feel almost teary almost like I'm back there again but now I can honestly think about these circumstances and situations I'm like oh Oh, that's strange. That's come to my awareness again. It's like, I don't, I don't, I never try to suppress my emotions because, you know, when you suppress them, they come out one way or another, they, they seep out. Yes. And I find as well, you know, sometimes we can feel when we experience things like abandonment, whichever way that might look like as a kid, as an adult, I think the reason why we struggle with loneliness and abandonment and stuff like that, coupled with anxiety and PTSD is that I think it's the language that we have with the words, uh, with the word um, alone, because I always find I start changing that language. I start thinking, well, I actually like my own company at times. So I don't call it I'm yes. alone. I call it I'm in solitude. Right. Yes. Because when you give solitude, it's a, it's a different thing to send when you're feeling alone and abandoned. It's like you have a different language to it. So I always. I tend to find when you speak about the internal dialogue that we have, like you're mentioning, that's that relationship with yourself. It's also including the language that you have with yourself. It's the language. That's how you know you're healing when you can shift the language. Uh, I literally, personally, I'll tell the uh, listeners a little bit about my my background where I wasn't involved in an abusive marriage before I met my husband. Now I was married before. And when I first started to heal, my language seem like you know very victimized like you know and this is not to take any blame off abuse i'm very i'm a uh domestic violence advocate so i'm this is no way to say that i'm to blame for the abuse however 
my story, the way that I told the story at first had a certain tone of, you know, like, oh my God, this is happening, you know, kind of putting uh, everything in, in a ball of, you know, I've been so victimized by this person and, you know, there are some, um, that was just like this big, huge God-like complex that I was giving the situation and then that was me and how I perceived myself. And then as I began to heal, there was a language shift in the story and the language shift started to sound more like, um, I started to notice things about my posture emotionally and my disposition emotionally at the time that the relationship was incepted because of course it didn't start out like that from day one it was healthy it seemed healthy I wouldn't have got married to the man if it didn't appear healthy however um my my shame and guilt at that time for having had a child uh and this is just in my background and but, my religion and having had a child without being married was really weighing on me. Um, and so I didn't really feel like I had a choice. Mm -hmm. I didn't really feel like I could be choosy and pick who I wanted to be with. I felt like, Hey, you know what, just to get rid of this shame of mm -hmm. being okay. a single mother, I need to just, you know, accept whoever would accept both me and my son. So I positioned myself to get and take on something that was not good for me are really beneath my standards and so as the relationship begins to develop I saw so many red flags I mean I could tell you red flag after red flag after red flag and I kept driving right on past you want to know why because the biggest thing for me was getting rid of that embarrassment so embarrassment is very powerful and potent element in your story if it's there and shame because it keeps your head down when you're shameful or you're ashamed of something in your past you're not looking up your head is down and so you can't see what you need to see and make a rational decision so all of the things I know for a fact that I would never pursue or allow was allowed because I thought that I was healing you know, I thought that that was, I was healing. I thought that now people will see me as okay. You know, they don't yeah. have to, they can't yeah. say that I'm the single mom and I had this child out of wedlock. I, they can't say these things anymore. That was more important to me mm. than mm. any red flag that was being shown, shown to me. And so this is why when we talk about healing and having a resilient mind is getting so acquainted with yourself Mm -hmm. Not from a judgmental standpoint, but from a place of, you know, acceptance and self-compassion, you get to really learn yourself from that treehouse perspective. I started to recognize certain beliefs I had. And when I say universal beliefs, they're not universal, but you made them universal. So saying things like everyone deserves a, a great dad and you know, everyone deserves, you know, a healthy. No, you deserve. That's your truth that you're generalizing yeah. over to people. So yeah, these are your universe, personal universal truth that you've been living by, whether you said them out loud or not, they're there. So I started checking into that. And so it's like, I took power back. I took my power back and, and through language, I took my power back and I own the story. I'm not ashamed of anything that I went through. I can tell the story, my head held high. I'm, I'm proud of my, um, my ability to find new meaning. Yes. Um, and it was, it was a language shift. So I'm just going back to confirming that language matters when it comes it to healing. It really does because we also, we often get the condemning language from the society that we're in. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. which compounds on the shame even more. 
mm-hmm. you're not married you you having child out of wedlock and um you know I had a very similar experience myself and that, that I was at rust told you're bringing shame on the family so when you already yeah. get told that, <laughs> so it's not like you're thinking about it someone's actually saying it, it has a li- different level of complexities to you I, like myself I'm married now and etc but that wasn't the case when I had my my first child so thank you for sharing that level of being that vulnerable sharing your story yeah. in such a way and I think there's a lot of people who are listening to us men that can relate to this and like myself at the time for me one of my my thing was I've got dyslexia so uh, mm-hmm. school was particularly challenging for me and I was always being compared to my sister who seems to be excel academically mm-hmm. so for myself I end up um, uh, I always wanted to prove that I, I can do it. So not only did I get all the qualifications, I'm literally one step away from a PhD. Um, mm. And then even when I and I was ready to go for my PhD, and then I and then I said, what am I doing this for? Mm. I've already got the degrees, the diplomas, and the masters. When is enough going to be enough? But I, I realized mm. if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it because I really need to do it to excel in something else. But other than that, it came from that place of mm-hmm. always being told you're not you're not clever, right? Correct. That you're not clever. I'm not saying to anybody, don't strive for higher education, but do it. But don't do it in the back of, I'm going to prove to you that I am clever. Because we know intelligence is, you know, academic intelligence is different from emotional intelligence. And I can believe we can go so much further in life just by building on our emotional intelligence, you know. It will carry you so far. We literally speak the same language. I just believe we're twins, you know? Um, <laughs> we, we literally speak the same language. Uh, I, I always say that, you know, emotional intelligence is different than books, book smarts. You know, you could be a whiz. You can have been in gifted education. You could have, you know, 4.5, but your social skills can be so low that those yeah. same people you see have, that are called doctor have very poor relationships. So it doesn't transfer over to the relationship department. It doesn't transfer to your ability to deal with hard things. So you see it in Hollywood. These people have resources. They have money. They have access to healthcare. They have access to counselors. Yet they still are dying from you know suicide. They are still finding it hard to deal with themselves and feel like an imposter. You know, maybe they feel like they don't. They're they're someone else is living their life and maybe it's not them that can mm. definitely be a part of their um narrative and so my point in saying that is uh it's definitely more important to build your emotional intelligence than just focusing so much on going back to school and I when you said that it just triggered me back to a place where when I was going through my process with the PhD and how I, that was a part of it like man I I kept proving myself so yeah. that's actually a defense mechanism called altruism where you continue to circle back around you never celebrate so it's almost saying like okay I'm when I'm gonna celebrate when I get my bachelor's and get the bachelor's now okay no no I didn't I'm celebrating when I get the master's so you keep getting back on that hamster wheel and you're never affirming yourself saying like I've done enough I don't have to get another certification I I don't have unless I you want to but when I when people ask me like about going into a doc program, I always ask them to check your why. Why are you yes. doing it? Do yes. you need to be there? Mm. Do you need that? Because it's going to come for everything that you have. If you have any insecurities, uh, lack insecurities, it's going to come up like a fountain. If, if your relationships are not solid, 
it's going to rip that to shreds. Mm -hmm. So when I say that if it's not because you have to have it like a medical school situation where you can reconcile that because you have to study medicine, Mm -hmm. you really have to like check that because it is, it can rock you to your core. And I don't regret getting my, my doctorate, but if I could redo it, I would not have started when I did. I would have waited until I probably had retired if I just wanted to do it for like where I didn't need it for it because I don't need it. Mm-hmm. I actually don't need it to do my job no, at all. No. Say and it so it cost it, it cost me a lot emotionally. So any listeners like any type of and so oh this is a good process question. You have to ask yourself what do I think this is going to do for me. Mm um once I obtain it and is it something you can get right now so if I said that well I just think it'll give me a more social status I just think that people would listen to me more okay let's work on that now Mm -hmm. without having to spend eighty thousand dollars to do it yes yes absolutely I think it's about I call that internal inquiry or just Mm -hmm. um I was interviewing somebody who also said the emotional autopsy so whereas after carrying an, an, an internal inquiry, and I think over the period of time, when we practice these things, we can become so good at it. But I also say mm. it doesn't come naturally. And if it's not something you're accustomed to doing, you might not do it when you start feeling some type of way or when you start feeling striving for something else to prove something right. else. But That's I think correct. if we always go on that internal inquiry, like, why, why do I want to do that? And for me, it's like I had to stop myself like, well, Actually, no, I, I don't need any further certification. You've got, the, I said, the degree, the bachelor's degree, you've got the master's, you've got the diplomas. Got, okay, so enough is enough, right? You've got that. That's correct. Right. But that, that voice still nags me sometimes. So yes. I'm going to look at it from oh, the perspective yes. of, okay, if I'm going to do it, what am I going to do it for? Is it going to elevate to elevate me further where I need to do? I might still do it at some point, but I, it's going to be the decision made in such a calm way where it's not like I am going to prove to you because I've already proven that even to my I don't need exactly it's the manner in which you make the decision so like you said not feeling threatened that if you don't hurry up and start today that you know someone's going to outdo you or you know you Mm. get things of you know especially if you see other people who started their program and they're announcing you know I got accepted into you know this university and then you know that creates like a fad of you know like kind of like a an assessment of like how much am I doing now you know exactly you know comparing yourself and your growth to them and and when you were talking about the original question of you know how do we build a, a resilient mindset and also how do we deal with sometimes being uh fragmented or you know estranged from our family is spending time with your village a village is not a lot of people it's key people that you that you know and so I recently realized and this is just kind of highlight this journey of how some things come to you in part it doesn't like you I just have a wealth of knowledge it comes to me in pieces and so I noticed I was talking with a friend and I would stay on the phone with her for like hours and hours and hours like I'm not a phone person but I found myself staying on the phone just chit-chatting I would continue my daily or nightly routine and we just holding the phone she's breathing I'm breathing she's washing dishes I'm you know folding clothes and I'm like man you know and so I had a moment to where I asked myself and it was I didn't say it I didn't move my lips I didn't verbalize it but it was in my mind I said you know why why am I so you know 
open to staying on the phone so late with this person Mm -hmm. and she doesn't need anything from me and I noticed that I'm attracted to her ability to know things I like that she doesn't need me I like that she doesn't need my insight I'm not at work Um, she doesn't need me to clarify or teach her or counsel her she can hold her own she knows how to make good decisions she even challenges me sometimes and says no Christiane you need to you need to do this and so I something about her that courage to tell even myself because I've been told that I can be intimidating I've been told these things and so the fact that she doesn't care about that and she still will kind of say like no you're wrong no no you need to do this I like it and so I'm drawn to that and I find myself just letting the time just fly because I don't feel like I'm at work. I feel very relaxed in her presence. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can imagine you as, as, a, as a therapist. It's almost like the amount of calls you get in the day, even just from regular friends. Oh, so what do you Correct. think of this? You know, and it's that. Like, actually, I want to switch off from work. How we Co- yes, like yes. <laughs> I understand. You know, I, I, I too have a, my amazing friend and she's, I, I, I call her more of a sister. She's more of a sister than a friend. Yeah. And Sometimes it gets to the point now where we can speak in the morning and we can speak in, in the evening, literally. She'll be at work and I'm working and sometimes we're just chatting or she's doing ironing and I'm doing the dishes and we can be talking for it and we'll have the same conversation the following day. And mm-hmm. if we're not talking, we're leaving each other voice notes. And what I find so interesting is that when something is up with that, I would have instinctively know. And likewise, and I've already mm-hmm. said, if I ever disappear, if I, if she doesn't hear from me for two days, she will report me missing. Yeah. It's very unusual for us not to communicate. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So she's that one friend, if say, you know, except for my husband, if she doesn't hear from me for two days, she'll be like, nah, I'm calling her husband. What's up? Right. <laughs> right. Cause it's unusual. That doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. We communicate on a daily basis, whether it's just morning hand, how are you doing today? Oh, how was that yeah. thing that you did yesterday? So mm-hmm. I think it's nice when you have this friendship is just glowing and it's blossoming freely and it's that tribe. Yeah. I find that mm-hmm. there's so much depth to that relationship to the point that I'm not saying like I, I, I'm not trying to make new friends. I, I do make friends, but I, I find some when you find that small tribe and it's very good, you 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 know a good thing when you come across it. It's the relationship mm-hmm. based on trust. It's a relationship based on non-exploitative and it's just beautiful it's a beautiful thing and yeah, I, absolutely and sometimes when I was doing my gratitude I'm glad I've got to experience that you know because mm-hmm. not everybody get to experience such a relationship in such a way but I, I'm happy that I've got to experience it. and that's when I give gratitude is the little things mm-hmm. like that that I'll put forward like wow I have got such an amazing friend that is incredible yeah absolutely yeah. they so, see you for you not the title that in your in your work setting mm-hmm exactly and sometimes she'll say to me ma'am you know you're you're such an entrepreneur and you always go on these journeys and well I'm not like that but I'm here to support you and vice versa so I I love that um so we're almost coming up to we're going to be concluding the interview but I've got a couple more questions to ask uh in terms of your Instagram page is very insightful and you offer so much wisdom one particular post that stood out to me, for me, was your post um, that says, the most important lesson in life can be learned from adversity. Are you able to elaborate that further? 
And the reason I say that, because I love that saying, I love it. I always say our adversity is there to teach us the lessons. And I know, I don't mean to be insensitive in terms when I say this, because adversity comes in, in different degree. And some degrees are uh, absolutely. so bad. You know, so I'm not saying, you know, if there's a mum just lost the child, you know, to maybe a car accident, I, I'm a mum myself and I can't even begin to imagine what that is like. But I literally cannot. But yeah. what I'm saying is that there are other challenges that we face on a regular basis that have the ability to literally suck the life out of us, right? And th- those are the, the things that are called adversity. They're not killing us quite, but they're leaving no. us in a state of mm-hmm. numbness. Sure. Yeah. yeah. So uh, that uh, quote is something that uh, my mother, she said it since I was a child and uh, learning it in my religious organizations and even now as a therapist, um, I kind of uh, alluded to the fact that when we come to adversity, we actually have the opportunity to expand. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm saying that because for the most part, in a general sense, we all want to, you know, get better. We ask for things. We want, you know, big jobs. We want to expand our career, but we really don't know what it takes to prepare for that, which is adversity. Because if you only have a, so I, let me explain. So we terms in terms of grade school, I feel that when we don't have a lot of adversity, just like a child, your range is that of a child. So if a child is in kindergarten, we're going to assume that they hadn't had like a lot of life experiences. So their capacity to think through a hard situation is just probably not there. We're not going to really hold them accountable. But as they begin to matriculate through those different grades, we kind of like say, yeah, you know, you've probably gone through a little bit now. So you should have graduated. Mm-hmm. So I like to look at adversity as a terms of graduation. I'm just redefining growth spurts, things that you wouldn't know unless you had the adversity. So it's, and I'll, I'll also taking it to another level that there's something good in adversity because it lets you know that you're human. Because it, once, once you're relieved of all stress and struggle, you know that you're not no longer in the physical. Yes, that's true. It lets you know you're human. And I would say we are spiritual beings having a human experience. But when you don't, when you're relieved of that, though, you know that you're inspired. Exactly, exactly. And that's another thing I would say when it comes to me, I'm very fascinated about humans. I'm a human myself and I start with me. But Mm -hmm. the reason why I love doing what I'm doing is like when I went through family estrangement myself, I was like, oh, this feels kind of strange and odd. But like anything mm-hmm. else, I'm one of those people that like to study, especially human behavior. I am literally yeah. obsessed in studying human behavior yes. because I generally like people and I love to study how we come to be like, what is this? And I love to leave. Uh, I love reading things like memoirs, biographies of people, stories of overcoming. I'm just looking at them, dissecting them, learning them, thinking, oh, right. So I 100 percent know no matter what we go through in life no matter what adversity come, there's somebody out there who can give you the roadmap in terms of coming out on the other side, no matter what it is. Because success leaves clues. Success leaves clues. And... Oh, I love that. <laughs> I've not heard of that saying. I love I'm, I'm gonna, yes. Success leaves I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to write that clues. down. Thank you. Yeah. You have to... Like, it's, out, it's there somewhere. This is what we taught in, in, in doctoral school. Everything you can possibly think you want to research, it's been done somewhere you are not creating content 
So every, everyone that wants to be known and create and think something is starting with them, I guarantee you, you go to Google Scholar. Yes. And you put yes. those words in there. There's going to be an article or PDF that says something to that. So and all, you can build for sure. You can build on knowledge, but you don't create knowledge. No, exactly. No, it's already there. Not. It can be already there. and it'll come after you. You can just add on. And this is what I say. Whenever I go this through is... something, the first thing I'm like Googling, how do I, okay, why am I feeling like anything? Anything. I'll get a book and I'll sit down and I'll read and I'll be like, oh, so this is why this is happening. Okay. And how do I change it now? I got to I gotta pause. Oh my goodness. This is so good. Uh, that ability to, let me just say this. Mm-hmm. pain experiencing pain from whether it's a fragmented family whether it's having rejection pain by itself does not produce change no. you can be in pain and we have this assumption that oh you know i'm feeling pain then why where's the you know where's my my solution no no, no. it's those who reach mm. a reach that has the ability with tears in their eyes to get on the phone call someone, type it into your computer. Why do I keep getting five headaches a week? Is there, and and people who just practice externally communicating and getting out of their head a little bit and putting something somewhere else on a journal paper or on a, you know, like you said, putting in a Google search engine, like why do I have a pain in my left leg? Those people never fail. They never fail. You know why? Because there's something in them that feels that whatever I'm going through, is an answer something is an answer out there i just don't know it yet yes so you never are going to be so succumb to life to when you reach when you know how to reach it so i don't possess the answer to everything so but i can research i can make an appointment i can ask someone i can send for a recommendation anyone that does that would never be overtaken by an adversity i promise it may sting but it will not i echo that i literally echo those words and I use those words all the time like whatever whatever there's whatever there's a problem out there there's a solution because someone has come before you and left the sprinkles of knowledge and evidence as you call it behind so yes that is my mantra it doesn't matter what it is I'm like well I'm pretty sure I'm not the only person who's going I validate myself that I'm enough but I also say I'm not particularly unique in terms of my experience because I'm having this human experience alongside billions of other people so somebody who's going before me, I've, I've left the clues in terms of how I can navigate this. I just posted this on how to lose, how to lose. You, yeah. Listen, yeah. you have to know that your unique, your experience is not unique and special. That is isolating yourself. That means that yes. this is only has only happened to me in the history of mm-hmm. the world being the world. And that's just not, that's an irrational belief. And it's just not true. So yeah. every, just like research can pretty much find any word you put into Google Scholar and bring it up. You didn't create it. You're building. It's yep. the same thing yep. with adversity. Someone somewhere has experienced those same emotions, maybe different experience on the top, but the same emotions that you have, they have them somewhere. And there's a guide. There's a three-step you know, process. I saw one time it says how to get over depression. You know, I was depressed and my clients are depressed. Mm-hmm. And it says, first step, number one, get active. The first thing depression wants to do is keep you still. It doesn't, yes. this is why people don't get out of bed. It wants to immobilize you. So mm-hmm. you don't get up and move. So physical movement is a great way to combat depression. Yes, then it says, get your journal. 
Don't, correct. And then it's also said, you know, go and get your journal. Get a nice one, something you want to go right in. Don't just go yes. get, you know, if you have a eyesore for certain things, you might want to invest in a really good journal and start just writing without worrying about grammar and syntax and punctuation. Just write whatever words, it could be phrases, just write, get those thoughts out of your head onto paper. And the third thing it said, working from a planner. So you want to create a trusting relationship with yourself because so many times we second guess ourselves. The moment we feel something, we think like, oh, you know, this, you know, we just kind of create this self-doubt so it talks about making little small promises to yourself mm -hmm. um, daily so that you earn your own word yes and you earn that trust with yourself and say you know what I'm not going to say I'm going to drink two liters of water but I can promise myself a small promise that you know what on Tuesdays and Thursdays mm -hmm. I'm going to drink one cup of water before bed do something so small that you yes. can do it right yes. now without any assistance exactly. and once you start building that trust with self you really feel like hey you know what? I did that on Tuesdays and Thursdays. Wow, I really drank that cup of water. And it may exactly. seem so small to someone else, but to the ego and to the to, to psychologically, you have you're building a bond now that you know what I can do the mm -hmm. things that I'm thinking about. And so the next time you have a feeling or a thought, you don't tell yourself that I'm not supposed to be thinking this because yes. that's not the relationship yes. you're building when you make those small promises. Exactly. So everything that I think, I accept that I'm thinking it. I just don't take it to be fact. So I can yes. accept that I have a feeling that, oh, you know, this hurt me, but I don't have to keep it and hover over it and make it debilitating. So I said all of that to say that there's something out there that's already in writing about what you're going through. Yes, someone else has come before you. Oh, thank you. Something. I love that. Thank yes. you so much. Okay, so Chris, uh, Christian, where can my listeners find you? And do you have any, do you have any other, I know you work as a counselor, but do you have, have you got any books? So is anything you're doing that yes. if my Absolutely. listeners might work with you, they can find you? Sure. I would love every listener to go to my, you can go to my Facebook at a renewed mind counselor. I have a link tree um, where I started renewed renew life classes. Renew life classes are going to be a hit. When I tell you these classes are not just your typical, just you hearing me talk and talk about this. No, 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 no. We're working. Right. We're working right. on healing the inner child. We're working on reparenting ourselves, mm -hmm. creating a safe space for ourselves, the things that we're talking about, making promises to ourselves. We're going to be writing letters to our inner child, healing yeah. that person on the inside of us that's responsible for our, uh, you know, defense mechanisms, those things that they learned in, in mm. early childhood. We're working, working. And so I'm also uh, getting ready to release a journal. It's a therapy journal. Mm -hmm. And so it's going to have a lot of deep, deep questions in there. Mm. and those questions are meant to be followed up with a life coach or a uh, professional but even if you don't I'm sure that they could work with because I can't secure and make a person go to therapy but the questions are deep now they're not just your typical how are you feeling today yeah so they have to, so, so they have to conduct a deep yeah. analysis of them emotions correct and so I do put that disclaimer in there in case you don't go to therapy don't sue me um, for being, because trigger warning, basically, it's a trigger warning. This is what I'm, uh, so it may say things like write a letter to someone who's hurt you without saying it to them, of course. Um, you know, that things like that, like, like, like what you were saying, just thought therapy, where you're, um, 
you know, stating the things that you want said to you or wish the person could say to you, you're going to be doing that. Um, So yeah, reconnecting with yourself in new ways. So those are new life classes, which can be found on my Instagram as well. And the link is in my bio, um, which is Renew Mind Counselor on Instagram, Renew Mind Counselor on Facebook. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and sign up for those Renew Life classes. Hopefully my journal will be released in a couple of weeks and that will be posted on my link tree as well. So link tree, which is the link in my bio, it has everything, all things me. It's going to find all of my um, contact information. Uh, so guys, I am going to put all of that details and then the show notes for the podcast. And when the journal is out, um, I will put the link to the journal on my, on because I can always update the, the podcast show notes at any time. So I'll add that link there too. So make sure you go and get the journal and sign up for the classes. I, I honestly believe, as I said, my outtake in life is about life relationship management, which is a relationship with other people and a relationship with yourself and also obstacle management, because at the end of the day, they're going to come whether we like it or not. And I feel like whenever we arm ourselves and equip ourselves with knowledge and skills and strategies on how to navigate these things, it's always for the better. It's never time wasted. In matter of fact, I call it Mm self-care. So Dr. Christian, thank you so much. You've been such a, it's been such a pleasure having this conversation with you. And it's, it's so scary, the kind of things that we have such a similar outlook and our similarities are just like mind-blowing. <laughs> it's like... I'm, I'm in awe right now. I'm just, this doesn't happen. Like, no, And I'm just no. not talking about on a surface level. I'm talking about I, I'm discerning my intuition. Right? It just It's just showing me like how connected the wires, like in the little small woven yeah. wires of our mind are just like kind of shining and you know yeah. I, I just I'm in awe right now yeah oh, oh thank you so you're such a star thank you so much so that is all for today is episode I told you you're gonna like it I told you so there's so many takeaways from this episode and I mean there's lots um, but if I could just think from the top of my head of, um, I mean, it was a really long conversation, very valuable conversation, but here's some of my takeaways. Know when to disconnect from things that are not good for you or good for us. That's a good way to start. So knowing how to disconnect, because sometimes we're holding on to things that we should not be holding on to, right? Our enemy is the meaning we give to things right that keeps us stuck so we give a meaning and we feel bad about that meaning and it keeping us stuck right you have to take charge of your own healing and another one is we have the key for the healing journey and just go for it right you don't need permission to heal you can start the journey yourself Another takeaway is we have to become really good at this thing called life. So we have to become good at processing this thing called life. Life is going to happen, right? Another takeaway, we use Google for everything these days, right? 
you need to cook something, you need to uh, direction somewhere, you need a review for something. As Dr. Ricard said, we have a knee pain, you Google it. And sometimes we don't always Google about how to overcome difficult emotions. What was the last time you put on Google? How do I overcome difficult emotions? Start with that one, right? Uh, other takeaways included, oh yes, my favorite ones. Your physical health matters. Water matters. Supplements matters. So don't forget to be on top of your supplements and vitamins, guys. All these things matter, right? One of my other takeaways is obstacles will come. So you need to develop a mental cushion in how you can handle them. They're going to come. Guys, we're going to be faced with obstacles, whether we like it or not. Sometimes it's going to be our own doing. Sometimes it's the doing of other people. But heck, either way, they're going to come. So what a better way to develop a resilience aka mental cushion right one of the other takeaways that i particularly like is your or your ours our childhood attachment styles determines how we show up in our relationship as an adult right so don't forget that don't forget that and our attachment style go back into our childhood and uh, so give yourself grace and time there's some things that we just behave which are deeply embedded in subconscious in our subconscious mind okay and the last one again again i said there's many takeaways by i'm just gonna name a few otherwise i'll probably be recording this for another half an hour take your power back through your language right take your power back through the language in another word, be kind to yourself. Use positive language when you're communicating about yourself and about your circumstances. Another thing that I particularly like is the fact that when you take charge of the language that you speak to yourself, you begin to notice that you a healing. You notice a healing when you notice that a shift in your language you know you're healing when you can shift your language so pay attention to emotional conversation or or as dr ricard said your posture your emotional posture and final one completely is adversity lets you know that you're human adversity lets know that you're human and success lives clues so remember if you're going through something you might not you you would certainly won't be the first although when you're going through it you might feel like you're the only one somebody out there has gone through exactly the same thing so you're not the first find the person who has left clues and you start picking up those clues and you see what it would do for your emotional well-being anyway that is all connect with dr christian ricard i'll leave all our details in the show notes and thank you so much for listening and going this far with me today so thank you so much and god bless